The COVID-19 pandemic has put enormous strains onto healthcare systems around the world. In the early days of 2020, hospital admissions skyrocketed as the first wave of the pandemic swept through. Intensive care units buckled under the pressure, triggering the need for guidelines to limit access to care in ways that would have been unthinkable only a few months earlier. Through that first 2020 wave, healthcare workers were lauded for their efforts. Labelled as heroes, the public expressed its gratitude in various ways, including nightly applause and pop banging or sponsoring meals for healthcare workers on duty. However, this narrative of heroic healthcare workers and the grateful public was thrown into question as it became clear just how risky it was caring for COVID-19 patients, especially when high-quality personal protective equipment or PPE was in short supply. Various ethical arguments came into play in trying to understand the moral conflicts triggered by the pandemic. On the one hand, the duty to care was invoked. Healthcare workers are just that. When they take on the job, they're morally obliged to care for patients. On the other hand, most healthcare workers did not sign up to be frontline workers in a pandemic at considerable personal risk, especially when society did not reciprocate by providing high-quality PPE to minimise their risk. This framing of the situation, duty to care versus reciprocity, can lead to an impasse in thinking about the ethics of providing care in a pandemic. Professor Wendy Lipworth is here today to help us think about this issue. Wendy is Professor of Bioethics in the Department of Philosophy at Macquarie University. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. It's good to be here. In your 2020 article on medical heroes and the COVID-19 pandemic, you argue that the framing of heroism and reciprocity can lead to an impasse and you suggest an alternative way of looking at the issue. Perhaps we can start by you telling us about the heroic framing of the duty to care in the pandemic. Sure. So as you explained, in the early days of the pandemic, healthcare professionals were seen to be putting themselves at great risk for the benefit of the community. Now we know that most cases of COVID are mild, for most people at least, but then we didn't know how severe it was. And the early strains were in fact more dangerous than the ones we're dealing with now. So there was great fear and great uncertainty. And most of society at that point shut themselves away, either by choice or by mandate. But healthcare workers didn't and couldn't. They kept going to work. And this action on their part was framed by some people as being heroic. You, you suggest in your article that this is kind of um, based in an understanding of the duty to care or that the duty of care is relevant to this framing of, of heroism by healthcare workers. So what do you see as the limits or the problems with that approach to duty to care? So the duty of care to pro, duty of care or more or maybe the duty to care approach, says that because healthcare workers have voluntarily chosen their profession, because they have special training, because they enjoy certain privileges, they have an obligation to care for people, even if this involves some risk or cost to themselves. Um, And this obligation is seen to go above and beyond what would be expected of somebody who didn't have those same privileges and training. So whereas anybody would be expected to If they could swim, jump into a swimming pool to save a drowning child, you wouldn't expect just anybody to walk into an emergency department and take care of somebody with a dangerous, potentially dangerous infectious disease. Now, this idea is quite unproblematic in theory, uh, but in practice, it raises a number of questions. So firstly, it's not always clear how far the duty extends. So, for example, someone in, in an emergency department who's a healthcare professional might be seen to have a duty to resuscitate somebody who comes in if they have adequate personal protective equipment, but it's not clear that that duty extends to doing the same thing when they don't have adequate personal protective equipment in place. A second problem is 
that the duty is not clearly defined or even explicit for many healthcare workers. You met, you mentioned that in your introduction. So unlike soldiers or firefighters who go into their job expecting to be put at personal risk, healthcare professionals often take on dangerous roles without any prior, you know, ever having really given thought to the issue as part of their motivation for entering into the job. And uh, another question that I think arises to maybe more in theory than in practice is whether the duty extends to situations where people are seen to in some way be responsible for the predicament they find themselves in. So some people have said that healthcare workers shouldn't have to take care of people, for example, who've chosen not to be vaccinated. That's very controversial and most bioethicists, I think, would say that that's wrong-headed thinking. But people do seem to think that there's a, an expectation that people will maybe be taking care of themselves to try and minimise the risk to healthcare professionals. So this lack of clarity, I think, is what created those somewhat, you know, somewhat ambivalent responses to the hero narrative. You might think that healthcare professionals really liked being called heroes, but some of them didn't like it because they were resentful of the fact that they were being expected to put themselves in danger without what they saw to be adequate reciprocity from society. And then at the same time, others didn't like it for exactly the opposite reason. It's because they just saw themselves as doing their job and not as heroes. So Yeah, I can see it's a, it's a slightly problematic kind of metaphor or representation as, of healthcare workers as heroes. So you've, you've given us several problems with invoking the duty to care as the moral foundation for working in a pandemic. So, but what alternatives do we have? So firstly, I would just like to say that I don't think we should do away with the notion of duty to care. I think it still does important moral work and is something definitely worth thinking about and it reminds us of things like the importance of doing what we can to protect healthcare workers and uh, you know ensure that society reciprocates in some way. But I think it's also useful to think of healthcare workers as a group of professionals who, like any other group, occupy roles that are complex and made up of a number of different obligations, which in their case includes caring for patients, caring for their colleagues, allocating resources fairly, advocating for public health measures like vaccination. And these obligations often align, but sometimes they can compete and conflict with each other. And then if, to complicate matters further, healthcare workers also have personal interests, which might be financial, or as in this case, they have an interest in keeping themselves and their families safe. Um, and those interests can be in tension with their professional obligations. So, Professionals inevitably have to navigate a wide variety of role-related conflicts, and I think it's useful to put this situation into that context, because then we can tease apart the conflict that's occurring and try and come up with nuanced and practical ways of working through the problem. So it certainly it's quite a complex ecosystem, isn't it? With you know each healthcare worker is an individual, and they might have a, a frail elderly parent at home or an immunocompromised child, and then you've got all the we had the um, the nurses pulled out of intensive cares to do vaccinations. I think at one point um, because there's all these different needs um, raised by the pandemic. So you've done a, a lovely job of explaining all those different interests which which can conflict. Which do you see as the most pressing? Um, in terms of you know conflicting interests for healthcare workers in this situation, and how do these compare with more widely acknowledged conflicts in healthcare, such as conscientious objection, where you've got the personal, you know, perhaps religious views of the practitioner against a, um, a person's right to a particular type of healthcare? I think it's it's difficult to say what are the most important ones now. I think it's a it's a shifting field. So in the early days of the pandemic, it was very clear that the tension was between personal safety, keeping themselves and their families safe, 
as opposed to caring for their patients. And also in the early days of the pandemic, there was much more salience around the question of allocating resources, so the tension between caring for your particular individual patient and thinking about who might need the intensive care bed. As it happened, that this didn't end up being a major issue, at least in Australian hospitals, but that was something that was certainly at the forefront of people's minds. I think as the pandemic has evolved, the conflicts have become a lot more subtle, so it's more along the lines now of, is it okay for me to take my mask off or should I be expected to take my mask off to talk to a dying patient or to talk to somebody who lip reads or something? You know, it's, it's not so much uh, should I go to work at all. It's, it's, it's more nuanced than that now. And some other role-related conflicts that I think have also become salient are around the obligations that professionals have to uphold the standards of the profession as opposed to expressing their personal beliefs. So I think that has a lot in common with conscientious objection. So some doctors and other healthcare professionals have taken a, a view that vaccines are dangerous and not to be trusted or that unproven therapies should be offered. And they've invoked their personal beliefs as a justification for that, which is very much like conscientious objection. Yeah, that's really interesting. I just did a podcast with uh, Neil Levy, who was talking about experts and when we should trust them, and you know how you can, how can you choose which experts to trust. And I think that really the pandemic really brought that out for all of us because we did have um, people were apparently well credentialed people advocating for treatments that were were not seen as valuable by the majority of the research community and profession. In your paper, you talk about the need sometimes to deprioritize patient care. That seems to run counter to the very sort of foundations of healthcare ethics. So when can this be justified? Well, I mean, it is obviously very difficult and no health professional likes to think of themselves as ever doing that. But I think if, firstly, you have a very good reason, so the risk to yourself, say, is very high, maybe COVID wouldn't be a particularly good reason now, but other infectious diseases might be, and you're not adequately protected in fulfilling your role. And also, I think another thing that might come into it is if the care you provide is unlikely to be successful. You know, so I think all of those things come into play. And if you can satisfy all of those criteria, then there might be a justification for saying, okay, in this circumstance, there might be other things that take precedence over patient care. But obviously, the bar has to be very high for that. It's not just something you can say without without clear justification. Yeah, certainly if you had something like Ebola. Exactly. Um, it, it's very, very challenging, I think, for healthcare workers in that situation, given how contagious it is and how the level of PPE that you need for that. Um, so you, you did, you've sort of already hinted at this, but I just wonder if I can get you to tease out more explicitly, how does thinking about um, this issue in terms of role-related interests and conflicts help us to navigate the moral terrain? I think it provides a more systematic way of thinking through the issues. So instead of invoking abstract concepts like duties and obligations, if we think about the situation as one of tensions that are in an inevitable part of professional life, then we can we can manage them the way we manage any other kind of role-related conflict. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying this is the end of the conversation by any means, but we can think about ways to change the system so that there's less of a role-related conflict in the first place by putting more money into hospitals so that people can work fewer shifts, have better protection, um, that looks a lot like the, the reciprocity approach to role obligation. So it's not necessarily a different strategy, but it's coming at it from a different direction or it's a different moral justification. 
But we can also think about the way we manage other conflicts of interest in healthcare, like financial conflicts of interest. There's an emphasis there on people being able to disclose them so that they can be managed. And I think in this context, I'd imagine that particularly early in the pandemic, it would have been difficult for healthcare professionals to speak to their managers about the situations they were in. Maybe there was a, an infectious disease in their, sorry, an immunocompromised person in their family or a mental, someone with mental illness who was particularly vulnerable and frightened of becoming infected. I can't imagine that it would have been easy to raise those sorts of issues. So I think it points to the importance of having systems in place where the conflicts can be made visible and discussed in a non-punitive way. And it might be that there are some circumstances where the conflict is such that the person just simply cannot fulfill their role anymore. There are other areas of professional life where that's the case. So if you have a family member applying for a job, you can't be on the selection panel. We accept that there are some limits to what people in, with certain kinds of conflicts can and can't do. So that it might be that there are just some roles that people can't fulfill. Um, so I think it, it shows you a whole sort of spectrum of strategies that you might put into place but none of them are clear-cut solutions in and of themselves. Yeah I'm just I'm just thinking a friend of mine whose daughter was a nurse and who was pregnant during the early stages of the of the pandemic she was obliged to go to work but they did take her off direct patient facing care so they recognized that interest in you know not catching COVID um, of pregnant women who are particularly vulnerable. So I was wondering do you have anything to say about the practical implications of your approach are there you know, more systematic ways or tools or um, other things that we can do to help make sure that we do have everything on the table when we're trying to work out what's the right thing to do? Yeah, that's a really hard one. I think you'd have to talk to the sort of the managers about that. I think it has to be at a high level within the organisation that this, this kind of thing is normalised, that discussions about it are accepted and that people aren't shamed for having even fears about their own safety without what others perceive to be a sufficiently good reason but no I don't have a clear solution in mind that's excellent yeah. more work for yeah, you and I exactly if you could summarize a key take-home message uh, today what would that be I think it would be that professional roles are very complex and it's quite normal for role related conflicts to arise in the course of professional life there might be some situations that we just shouldn't put ourselves in or some interests that really shouldn't play a role in our in our professional lives. But for the most part, I think it shouldn't be seen as a moral failing to have conflicts of this kind. Um, and what really matters morally is how the conflicts are managed rather than whether you have them in the first place. Thank you. That's all we have time for. If you wish to read Wendy's paper, there are links in the show notes. Thanks for your time. This podcast has been a presentation of the Macquarie University Centre for Agency Values and Ethics, and I've been your host, Distinguished Professor Wendy Rogers. Thank you.